Good morning, Riverside. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Scott Jackson, and uh, I'm one of the elders here at Riverside, and uh, we have the privilege of taking Riverside and other churches on short-term mission trips around the world through the ministry that my wife and I are involved in called Churches and Missions. And uh, so you may not see us here a lot because we are traveling around the world and traveling to other churches to challenge them to uh, go on a short-term mission trip. But if you'd like more information about that, there's a table down in the Fellowship Hall where you can get some more information on that. But it's good to be with you here today as we continue in our series on Samson. And uh, Samson's one of those interesting characters. Have any of you enjoyed reading through the life of Samson? Raise your hand. You enjoyed reading through it? I hope you're reading through it as we've asked you to read ahead of time through the scriptures because um, there are large chunks of scriptures that we're looking at and to have you reading through that. Is there anything that surprised you about Samson? Anybody see anything that surprised you? You don't have to tell me what it was. Just anything surprised you as you look through Samson's life? There's things I didn't remember that Samson did when I read through this passage. It was like, wow, I, I didn't remember he did that, or I, I didn't see that in the passage. And it's exciting to see as we walk through a passage of Scripture how God continues to work in and through people uh, and to do His will. And that's one of the things I want us to see as we walk through this passage this morning, is that God is always at work in and through and with people to accomplish His purposes in the world in which he has placed us. And that's what God is doing here. And you notice I said it's in and through and with people. I didn't say it's in and through and with Christians necessarily, or his people, or believers. God works in the whole world through everybody on the world to accomplish his purpose, to establish his kingdom, and to accomplish what he wants to do in our lives. And so as we come to Samson this morning, uh, I want you to be thinking about that and how God wants to work in and through our lives even today. Would you join me in prayer before we uh, look into God's Word and just see what He has to say for us, to us this morning? Father, we thank You for Your Word that speaks to our hearts. We thank You for how You are at work in our lives each and every day. And Father, I ask that You would just speak to us through Your Word. Help us to not just be a hearer of the Word, but help us to put this into practice in our lives. Father, help us to realize that you are the one who is at work, and we get the privilege of joining you in your work that you're doing here in this world. And so, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. Teach us now from your word. Speak it deep into our hearts so that we can live in a way that brings honor and glory to you. And it's in the precious name of our risen Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we come to the life of Samson, you know, he's one of those interesting characters of Scripture. When you look at his life, you go like, what in the world happened to this guy? I mean, it's like a real conflict in our brains because there's a tension going on. Because God has called this guy from before he was born. There's a miraculous birth. The Holy Spirit is upon this guy, and yet he's living an ungodly lifestyle. I mean, if you look at this guy, it's just incredible to see what God is doing in and through his life and yet he has completely walked in disobedience away from God with the way that he lives his life each and every day. And it's no different as we come here to chapter 16 of Judges as we consider what, uh, what God is doing and how God is at work to bring redemption to the nation of Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. He's using this man by the name of Samson. And so as we look into the word, we'll see a little bit about what Samson is about. Samson reminds me of my uncle that my mother didn't want me to hang out with. Did you ever have one of those guys in your life? 
I think every family has an uncle like that. You know, it's like, this is the guy you don't hang out with. And my Uncle K, my mother did not want me hanging out with my Uncle K. My, my Uncle K was cool in my mind. You know, my Uncle K was six foot four, about 220 pounds, you know, really great physique. He, he was less like, he was a man's man. He did all the outdoor stuff and all the sports and everything. But my Uncle K basically lived his life for himself. He's wrecked more cars than I've ever owned. I mean, that's just the way he kind of lived his life. You squeeze this six-foot-four body into a little Carmen Ghia, which is a really tiny car, if you don't know what that is. It's just a really tiny car. And then you crash it into some other cars to the point where they came to the accident scene and they didn't even know there was a person in the car because he was jammed clear up underneath the dashboard of the car. And as they opened up the car, he gets out with just a few scratches on him and doesn't even go to the hospital. You see, and that's kind of like Samson. They live their life to the edge. They do all this crazy stuff, and yet he continues to escape. And seemingly, there is no consequences to what's happening in his life, to his bad choices, his bad decision, his ungodly and immoral lifestyle. It just seems to never really come down upon him and haunt him in his life. And God really never comes down upon Samson. But we begin reading in chapter 16 where that all begins to implode. And that's what we see in Samson's life, is his life begins to implode as he continues to walk down this very foolish path in his life. And that's really the path that Samson was walking down. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to chapter 16. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. I'm going to skip down through the passage a little bit here this morning uh, because it's a long passage, but let's begin reading it at verse 1. It says, Samson went to Gaza, and Gaza, you need to know, is the capital city of the Philistines. Samson became so self-confident in and of himself that he says, I'm going to go right to the capital of where these people are. He walks right into the capital city and continues to live his ungodly lifestyle. It says, and there he saw a prostitute. He went into her. The Gazites were, were told, Samson has come here. And they, were, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait until the light of the morning, and then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that's in front of Hebron. Here he takes this gate of the city, he picks it up, he puts it on his shoulders, and he carries it beyond Easton, 40 miles up to Hebron, and sits it on the top of a mountain. This is no simple feat that this man does. He just says, you're going to wait at the gates for me, and he just rips the gates off, and he carries them to the top of this mountain, 40 miles away, and he sets them down. And Samson says, I'm invincible. No one can stop me. I don't know if you picked it up in those few verses, but the word night is used many times because the direction Samson's going is to more and more darkness in his life. When you think of the life of Samson and you think of everything he has done, and, and just so you understand a little irony that's in the Word of God sometimes, the name Samson means little son, as in S-U-N. You see, he was to be a redeemer in Israel, to begin the redemption and getting him out of the bondage from the Philistines. He was to begin that. And here is God giving this little spark of hope to the Israelites that he still cares. 
that he's still there for them. And yet Samson continues to go in to this dark path. Think about Samson's life. He was impulsive, completely sensual, unteachable. He had a pagan wife. He sought after prostitutes. He was a lone ranger. He had anger issues and revenge factors was always involved in his life. He kills a lion with his bare hands, and then he kills 30 men for their clothes to pay off a bad debt. He carries, as we just said, the gate of a city 40 miles to the top of this mountain. He catches 300 foxes by his hands, ties their tails together in pairs, puts a torch in the middle to destroy all the fields of the Philistines. He kills a thousand Philistine men with the jawbone of a donkey, and yet the Spirit of God is upon him. I don't get that. Do you? You see, that's this tension that we see in Scripture sometimes where we see what the human side, what's happening, and then we, we see what God is doing on his side. In our brains, that doesn't add up, but that's because we're not God and he is. And we need to be trusting him, as we've just sung about, trusting him in the moment, trusting him along the way. And so Samson, he continues to get down this slippery slope. And that's how sin is in our life, isn't it? You know, we get more confident that sin won't have a negative impact on our lives. You see, sin always takes us farther than we thought it was going to take us, and it will always cost us more than we thought it was going to cost. And that's where Samson's at. He's going down this slippery slope, and it gets darker and darker and darker, to finally he goes into a lady by the name of Delilah. We find that in verse 4. It says, After this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. By the way, her name means the night. It says, and the lords of the Philistines came to her and they said, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That's a whole boatload of money, folks. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your strength lies and how you might be bound that you could, that one could subdue you. Is he even thinking at this point in time? Hey, how can we put you in prison? Can you tell me that? Tell me where your strength lies so that we can rip your strength away from you, so that we can bind you in chains and put you in prison. That's exactly what she's saying in the language of the day. We want to know how we can put you in prison. Look at Samson's foolishness. Verse 7. Samson said to her, If you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, that have not been dried, then I shall become as weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in her inner chamber, and she said to them, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Okay, Samson, I think, has lost his mind at this point in time, right? How can we bind you? Oh, seven fresh bowstrings. And then what happens? Delilah just happens to have those laying in her corner cupboard over here. And by the way, she's got some Philistine guys down here in the corner in the inner chamber just waiting to pounce on you. And so he allows her to tie him up, calls out, oh, the enemy's coming upon you. And rushes in, and he just snaps them. And can you imagine those guys being chased out of that house with Samson on their tail? They thought they had him, and he's coming right after them. Well, then it happens again. We look at verse 10. Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me where your strength lies. And Samson says, Oh, you do the same thing, but do it with new ropes. 
And so what does she happen to have in her house? She has some new ropes. And she ties them up. And the same thing happens again. Oh, Samson, the Philistines are here. And what happens? They rush out to get him, and he just snaps the rope, and he chases them out of the house. You'd think he'd begin to learn twice. Third time comes along. Verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, Until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound, how we can put you in prison. And he said, oh, you, you take the seven locks of my hair, the seven braids of my hair, and you weave it in a weaver's beam, and you stick a pin in it and tie it all up, and, and I'll be as weak as any other man. Now, think about what it would take to weave seven locks of hair in a weaver's beam and tighten it up really, really tight. And he allows this to be done. Either he sleeps in a dead sleep or he was drugged or something. It's crazy. And then she calls out a third time. Oh, the Philistines are here, Samson. And he just rips the pen out and he chases them out of the house again. And now she's really ticked off at him. Verse 15. Delilah said to him, how can you say I love you? Oh, she just played the I love you card. All right. You've had that done to you, haven't you? Oh, if you love me, you'll really... Well, this is what she played. She played the I love you card. If you, if you say I love you when your heart is not with me, you have mocked me three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed them hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Ladies, I'm sorry about that, that it's in the text, but it's in the text. That's what it says. She was nagging him to death, Okay. Guys do it to you too. I get it. We just do it in different ways. But we all are guilty of those kind of things. But she nagged him to death to where Samson finally said, all right, verse 17, he told her all of his heart and he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become as weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come again. For he has told me all his heart. When the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, she made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the locks of his head. Then she began, then she began notice that, to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistine seized him, gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. You know, I'm going to use a word that's a curse word in my home. But how stupid can you get? I mean, think about Samson. It's like we're, we're looking, I'm going like, Samson, how stupid can you get three times? You know, this lady is not out for your best interests. She wants to find out and she is paid off well to put you in prison and bind you in chains. And you know, that's how sin happens in our own lives too. You see, we can walk in disobedience to God and we do a little here or a little there. Or, well, it's, it was just, you know, as a child, we, I used to hear people say, well, it's just a little white lie. 
but then it builds and it builds and it builds. You see, walking in disobedience is a very slippery slope. And it continues to take us down further and further and further until we have become so blinded to where it has taken us, we become foolish in our choices and we make decisions that just take us to a place we never thought we would go. See what happens to Samson now. He is grinding at this mill. Verse 23 says, Now the lords of the Philistines, they say, Well, it's time to party. We have captured our nemesis, this guy who has been after us. They gathered together a great sacrifice to their god Dagon and rejoiced. And they said, Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were, mer- and when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, and I think this is the time where Samson, could we say it this way, he really got serious with God. Samson has really hit bottom now in his life. He's being an entertainer now. For the Philistines, they're making fun of him. The, the, the picture here is that they are just mocking him. Up one side and down the other. They are making fun of Samson now. Because here was this great man, and now all he can do is entertain them some. And he prays to God, O oh Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me. Only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the, middle, the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the death whom, so the death whom he killed... So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his lifetime. Then his brothers and sisters and all of his family came down, took him and brought him up and buried him between Zoah and Ashtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Think about Samson's life. Think about what he had done. He had tempted God in every aspect, by really throwing it in the face of God and not really honoring God with his life, but walking away in disgrace. And he continued to just walk away from God and everything that God had gifted him to do. There's two things I want us to see here this morning. One is, I want you to see this man is a redeemer. He is one of the judges, as Ezra mentioned last week. He's in the the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He is mentioned as a man of faith whose in his weakness was shown to be strong, and God had to bring him down to his weakness so that he could really reveal who he really was. But think of the parallels, first of all, between, between Samson's life and, and the life of Jesus, the ultimate redeemer. There's a lot of parallels there. 
if you look at it. First of all, they both had a miraculous birth. Jesus had the ultimate miraculous birth, and being born of a virgin, but they both had these miraculous births. Both had the Holy Spirit upon him from, from the beginning of their lives. Both were humbled, uh, Samson by his eyes being put out, Jesus by becoming a man, Scripture tells us, that he humbled himself and became a man. They both had a passionate prayer right at the end of their life. Um, Samson was, remember me, Jesus was, your will be done. They were both betrayed by a friend. They were both handed over to Gentile oppressors. They were both tortured and chained. They were both mocked publicly. They were both asked to perform publicly. Samson did. Jesus didn't. They both died with their arms outstretched. They both appeared struck down by their enemies, but their death crushed their enemies. Disobedience was a part of both of their lives. Samson, his own disobedience, Jesus taking on our disobedience for us. In their death, they both brought victory as God redeemed his people. They were both abandoned by God. But God returns to both of them. In their burial, Samson's rule ended, but Jesus' rule just began in our lives. You see, they were, it was a strong man that became weak to become strong. They were both in that image. And yet Jesus brings the ultimate strength in that he defeats sin and Satan once for all. And then he's able to offer to us what we call the gospel, the free gift of salvation, because he reaches it right into our lives. The tension for us lies in this whole idea of why was Samson allowed to do all these amazing things while he was walking in disobedience to God? In fact, four four or five times in these three chapters, it says the Spirit of God was upon Samson. Now, that doesn't make sense in our way of logically thinking. The difficulty is that we often confuse giftedness and success and what's happening over here with a godly lifestyle. And we make the two synonymous, but they're not. Because I know many gifted individuals, whether they are believers or not, that do amazing, successful, incredible things, but they don't have any type of a godly life to back it up. There's been too many people that I've known who have been pastors who have had incredibly successful ministries. One of the best books on evangelism for the 21st century I ever read was written by a guy who then falls into horrendous sexual immorality. And I don't get that. But the bottom line is, if we don't take care of our inner life, if we don't take care of our personal walk with God, if we aren't pursuing God on a daily basis, it's not a matter of our successes, it's a matter of our godliness, our walking with God intimately. And that's what we need to see in our own lives. You can be as successful as you want, whether it's in the business world, as a family, in ministry, it doesn't matter. If there is no inner life that's being reflected in your life of a character development by the Holy Spirit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit being developed in your life, you know what? We're setting ourselves up for a mega crash. And that's exactly what happened in Samson's life. There was no character behind his life at all. There was no inter-intimacy with God at all in his life. He was just living life for himself, and he thought he had the world by the tail. And it ends up destroying him in the long run. And so there's this tension even in our lives today. 
Because God has gifted us in various ways, whether we call them spiritual gifts, whether we call them natural talents and abilities, whether we call them blessings that God has brought upon our lives. And sometimes you look and say, wow, how can God bless that person? Look at their lifestyle. You know what? There are as many people in this world who have the success that we look at as from the outside as man, but don't have the inner life that God's looking for. God says that, that man looks on the outward appearance but God looks on the heart. In 1 Corinthians 13, there's a passage, a chapter there that's on love. Many of you probably know it. Maybe if you're married, it was read at your wedding and, and you're familiar with this definition of love in verses 4 to, to 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. But we often miss the fact that it's couched between two chapters in the scriptures there that talk about spiritual giftedness. Church of Corinth was one of the most gifted churches that we've ever read about in scripture. And yet at the beginning of chapter 13, right in the middle of this, he begins to say, look, you can have the ability to speak the language, any language of man or the language of angels. You can have faith that can move mountains. You can give everything that you have to, to give it away to the poor and help those people. You can even give your own life as a martyr to the flames. But if you do not have love, it is totally worthless. Do you get that? You see, it's about our inner character development with God as God wants to produce his fruit in our lives as we seek him as we're in his word as we're letting God flow through our lives and that's not to be equated with success externally because success externally is often said wow look how successful that man or woman is look at what their God's doing in their life and yet all of a sudden a crash comes about and we wondered, man, where did the wheels come off that train? And the wheels come off it because if we're not developing our inner walk, our inner life with Jesus, then you know what? We're heading for a crash ourselves. I was talking with someone after the, the first service, and they mentioned to me that, you know, how hard it is for them to spend time alone with God. Spend time in God's Word and time in prayer. And, and I don't know if any of you struggle like that, but I guess... Probably all of us but one might struggle with that in here. I don't know. And you're the exception if you don't struggle with that. You know why we struggle with that so much? It's because the enemy knows that if you and I are close to God in our life, that he can't defeat us and can't get us self-focused. Our intimacy with God is challenged all the time. And the reason it's challenged is because Satan knows that when we are tight with God, Nothing can separate us from Him. And when we are tight with God, we are a force to be reckoned with to impact this world. There's a little verse in this passage that would be easy to miss. And it's a verse that's right between, it's right after Samson has his hair cut and he's put in prison. And that little verse at the end of that paragraph simply says this, but his hair began to grow again. Now we need to remember that Samson's strength was not in his hair. Samson's strength came from God and from God alone, but the hair growing on Samson's head is a reminder to us that God is always active and at work in our lives. And it doesn't matter where we've gone, what we've done, or where we've been in our lives. God is not no further away than from you turning around and walking back towards him. 
God's arms are always outstretched towards us. Scripture says that He's waiting for us to call out to Him if we just would turn around and walk back towards Him in our lives. So as we think about the life of Samson, which is really a life that is a a real challenge to sometimes get our brains around because it's like, why is God so at work in this man's life when his life is so off the rails? But at the end of his life, God says, okay, here's where we're going to take you. Here's what I can do when you turn back to me. One of the things we need to realize, though, is that we don't need to be mocking God like Samson was mocking God. Scripture says that we reap what we sow. And so if you think, well, you know, Scott, I've been going along and, and uh, you know, I've been doing this or that. Yeah, I know, probably God isn't real thrilled with that. But you know what? It, there, there hasn't been any real negative consequences to it in my life. You're on that precipice of dropping off that cliff of a wreck in your life if you're there. Being that you're not there yet today, my challenge is going to be don't drop off the edge of the cliff, turn back around and walk away from it. So far, we, so often we want to see, well, how, how close can I get to the edge? Where, is this really sin if I do this? Or this really sin if I do that? Let me tell you what. If you're asking that question, you're too close already. All right? We've walked too close to the edge, and we need to be stepping back and saying, okay, God, I want your will done in my life. I want you to be at work in my life today. There's a couple of things I want us to, to sort of use as takeaways today as we think about it. I want you to remember this. God is always at work. God is always at work. We're in a, we're in a time right now, and not only as a nation, but as a, a world and as people of the world, where, where things are really unsteady. You know, everything that's going on in the political realm today, everything that's going on in our culture today, uh, the terrorist attacks and stuff, Zika virus around the world, you look at these things and, and we, can get, we can get scared about everything that's going on in the world. Let me tell you something. Nothing has surprised God. And God is at work. Even when we don't see Him at work. We need to look beyond the immediate circumstances. Secondly, God works through sinners and sinful situations. Do you believe that? God works through sinners and sinful situations. That doesn't mean we should seek that. Please don't go there with that. But that means He's working through us, even now. He also works through our choices, our free choices that we can make, even our flawed choices that we make. He still will work through those. Because, see, He's big enough to carry out His purpose in our lives, even when we make bad decisions, even when we get off the track, and we need to get back on the track with Him. God is focused on the heart, not on the exterior. Don't make the mistake of looking for successes, not godliness. We need to seek godliness in our lives. God keeps His promises even in the dark and disastrous periods of our lives. God always keeps His promises. So keep your hope in Jesus. And God always wants to hear from you doesn't matter where you're at, what you've done, or what's happened in your life. There's never any place you can go so far away from God that you can't turn around and He'll be right there for you. I've often said, it doesn't matter to me where you're at on the path of walking in obedience to God. To me, it matters what direction you're facing. Are you facing towards self and what you want in life, or are you facing towards God and the cross and the gospel and what He wants to do in and through your life? It took to the end of Samson's life when his eyes were gouged out 
when he was completely helpless and he'd hit bottom till he finally turned around to God. But you don't have to wait till then. You may feel like, oh, I've made such a wreck. That's okay. We need to move forward today with where you are in your life. Back in the 1940s, late 1940s, a man by the name of Mao Zedong took over the country of China and brought communism into China. He kicked out the 40 or 50,000 missionaries that were there in China that were spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the missionaries that were kicked out, I've talked to some of those over the years, and they said how devastating it was to them, and they wondered what was going to happen with the tiny little Chinese church that they had started there in, in China, and what was going to happen to the gospel in China. And they were so concerned because all they could see was this ungodly man coming in and wanting to get rid of Christianity and kick Christianity out of China. And Mao Zedong, he thought he was, he was so powerful to do this, he would go take his bulldozers and he'd go right into these little churches and he would just bulldoze down these churches. But what he didn't realize when he did that is he bulldozed down a church of 100 people and then those 100 people went out and started 100 churches in their homes. Mao Zedong, he wanted to take the language so that they could communicate clearly and quickly all across the country. He wanted to take the language from its 15,000, 16,000 characters and break it down to just about four or 5,000 characters so that they could communicate quicker and easier and it would be a common language all the way across this large country of China and all the provinces of China. And so he did that because he wanted to make it easier to communicate his message around the country of China. But what it did, it actually enabled the Christians to communicate the message of Jesus Christ easier all across the country of China now, into every province because everybody would begin to understand the language. And then the last thing he did, one of his three big initiatives, was to make an infrastructure of roads and railroads to get transportation across their country so that they could get to any of the outlining areas of China in an instant so they could get there quickly to put down any revolution that was going to take place, to put down any people that were coming against the government and, and to squash them where they are. And so he, he made this way to, to move about the country of China quickly and easily. But all that did was that enabled the Christians and the believers to move around the country quicker too. And they were able to get to all these remote provinces that were very difficult to get to, and now they could get there with the gospel. And after 40, 45 years, 50 years of communism, when we were finally able to get back into China to see what was happening with the church, and many people were concerned, what we found was a church that was more alive and more vibrant and had taken over the lives of millions of Chinese people because they thought God was getting kicked out of China but actually God was at work in China better than the missionaries could have ever done it. Because God is always at work. Last year in Indonesia, the largest Muslim, most, one of the most radical Muslim countries in the world, two million Muslims gave their life to Jesus Christ last year. The people have their names, they have their addresses, they've connected them in local churches in this huge Muslim country. Do you realize that that's one every 15 seconds came to Christ last year in this largely Muslim world? When they come to Christ there, they are distanced from all of their families. Many of them are killed for their faith because they put their faith and trust in Christ. But two million put their faith and trust in Christ last year in this major Muslim country. God is always at work. Even when it looks dark in our lives, God is always at work. And we need to remember that. As we sit here today, and as we think about the life of Samson, I've got two challenges for you to think about. One is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're here today as a follower of Jesus Christ, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be the one who forgives you of your sin and enables you to walk forward, you may be looking at your life and you may say, man, Scott, I've really gotten off track in some areas of your life. Well, today is an opportunity for you to get back on track.
And all you have to do is turn back to God and say, God, help me. God, I'm off track. I need to get back on track with you. The second challenge or I want you to think about today is maybe you're here today and you don't understand anything I've been saying about what this relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. You may say, Scott, I hear you talking about what this means to have an intimate walk with God, but man, that is something that's such a foreign concept to me because I just kind of live my life my way and I've been doing my own thing, but God has put me here today for some reason and I'm trying to figure out what you're saying. That's good. I'm here to tell you that God is here to forgive you of whatever's gone on in the past in your life. He is the one who can forgive you of your sin. He is the one who can build a relationship with you and make you right with our Heavenly Father if you but say and confess to Him that, you know what, I've messed up my life. I've done it my own way long enough. I want to do it God's way. And you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life, and to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus, to make you His child. And so whether you're a follower of Christ today, you have some decisions to make. If you're not a follower of Christ, but God is speaking to your heart, you have some decisions to make today. Do I want to walk closer to Jesus or do I want to begin a relationship with Jesus? And I want you to think about those as I lead us in prayer this morning.